Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. If you have not been part of the Transformative Leadership Summit, please get over there and check it out. It's been going on this last week and it has been amazing. I am just so inspired by the connections and the things people are doing. So please go over there and check it out, transformativeleadershipsummit.com. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with Adam Pizzoni, and it is fantastic. You're going to love it. We're going to talk about the day-to-day operations of using ABLE schools, and also we're going to talk about how to gain empathy and learn more about others that you're working with so that you can help solve their problems. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. And enjoy the second half of my interview with Adam Pizzoni. A lot of people have made digital placement boards with Excel or, or Google Sheets where they just made it visual and therefore they can share with a bunch of people. The problem with those versions, though, is as you were saying, it's not connected to the rest of the data. So it may look visual and be digital, but I can't click on one of those sections and see who's in that class or what course requests were there for that or what exactly. features or and so this idea that it's you know we're just creating this front end essentially for this big data set uh with all that information and wherever you go in the tool you can get to any of the information and get feedback on whether it's again conflicts or or on who's co-teaching with whom or uh, any of those things should be just very very easily accessible and providing feedback on how complete you are on what kind of problems are going to arise with the schedule and the ability to, again, think about particular types of students or teachers and, and decide, yeah, I want to make sure this works for these ELL students. Or It's so much more of a complicated task or complex task than I think anyone realizes outside of uh, uh, principals and, and the leadership that, that does this work. And of course, this is my one of our core hypotheses is that part of the reason why more principals don't implement a flex period or or just make adjustments during the year even, is because the process is so painful. And in fact, what normally happens is you finish your placement board, you hand type it all into your SAS, you hit the button, you know, you get, you figure out your conflicts, you, you know, you sort of go through that process. And then all that work you did that went into the master schedule is sort of put away. You know, it's like all those spreadsheets and your conflict matrix and all that. And now you're just living with whatever's in the SIS. And frankly, you're, you're probably afraid to make big changes because yeah. you don't you, you no longer get the feedback and and so I was talking to a principal that said, you know, at a most basic level, it's October and I've made mistakes. You know, I've got a bunch of ELL students I didn't know are ELL students. I've got, yeah. you know, these students that turned out they were in the wrong place. And he's like, I don't know if I can move them because it's too hard to, to know what the ramifications of that will be. So we just leave them there. And that's terrible. Uh, yeah. So the idea that we can create a tool that becomes really fast and easy and flexible, that not only does it have your, your periods or whatnot, but we can begin to say, what are your day types? And you know, what does your schedule really look like every single day of the week? And then go one step further and say, what is your academic calendar? So that, yeah, maybe Tuesdays are normally B days. But, you know, Tuesday, April 20th is different, is a minimum day because there's something going on that day. 
And, you know, that level of information giving you so much more clarity on what students are impacted by changes on things like instructional minutes on, you know, if you're a principal and you want to do something so simple as schedule an observation, knowing when the right time is, given all the complexity of specialists that are coming and going and all the changing schedules every day, like we want to be the one place where all information about time in schools really originates. Yeah, I like that a lot because the information about time in a school is all in my head. And my secretary this last year was constantly saying, how do you know that's where people are when their prep period is? And I, as the principal, have to memorize the schedule because yeah. I don't always have time to to figure out where people are. And It's not in the SIS. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. No. We have these schools where, like, you know, a parent calls the office and says, where's my kid? And they don't know. Like, they just start asking around. You know, they're normally with the teacher. And this. It's amazing. It's, like, amazing. If people only knew. You can't, you know, we talked to one school. It's interesting. They said one of the things they realized was, this is an elementary school, I think, that field trips tended to be on Fridays. And they had a rotational schedule where there just happened to be a particular grade level was was getting shortchanged on a subject like math because of that. And there was no yeah. way of really knowing that ahead of time, that there was literally like a massive difference in how much math fourth graders were getting just because of the way the rotational schedule worked and the academic calendar. Yeah, that is very true. And then what happens when you add in assemblies or other special events, things like that, that can really derail your master schedule, that makes a big Big difference. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge area. I mean, and I, I think not to mention one other area that we, we haven't even started working on yet, but we think is really important is, is course requests. I mean, the way for secondary, obviously, but the way schools today are managing course requests really does is too difficult to manage, but really doesn't give the student enough visibility into what's required or recommended. And same with the school. They get so little visibility into, you know, what's going to be requested and what that means for their sections and staff. And yet so much of the master schedule is driven by the course request. And yet students can't know ahead of time what they're going to be able to get and not. It's it's pretty, it's madness. Yeah. And definitely something that as student-centered schools are doing is they try to not build that magnetic board of where the teachers and what the teachers are teaching until they have course requests from right. the students. And, you know, we have started doing the students sign into the SIS to put in their course requests, but our high school is still doing everything uh, in paper. And so yeah. being able to like at least have the digital application for those course requests has been really beneficial, but there's yeah. still a lot of schools that are, you know, hand typing that in and hopefully nobody's making a mistake in the data entry. <laughs> I know, I know. And so you asked about the live case. I mean, one thing we, uh, what we call live is sort of like the day-to-day -day management. Again, you know, it, come August, first of all, you're still calling in kids changing their schedule. So clearly things aren't settled in. First couple of weeks or months of school can be crazy too, because Mistakes are made, you're making adjustments, people didn't get what they wanted. And that's just a continuation of master scheduling. But again, the sort of day-to-day -day management of school, knowing where, uh, dealing with specialists that are doing pushing or pull out enough to coordinate with teachers or dealing with trying to schedule observations or, or substitutes or, you know, all of these things sort of are these complex interactions and workflows all around time, all around when is this person available, when is a good time for that how do you coordinate? There's so many use cases that I think are, are not 
uh, are certainly underserved in schools today. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what that actually looks like, you know, when you can see where somebody is or where somebody's not and how you can fill in and solve some of those day-to-day challenges? Well, at a basic level, I'll tell you a little bit of where we are today and where we're going. So at a basic level, you could imagine you've gone through master scheduling all the way to the point where you've, you've made a placement board. So you know, you know what things are happening at the same time. We take it a step further and we ask you, tell us about your day types. So tell us like you have an ABC days, you've got a minimum day, as many as you have, you have a test day, whatever. And then tell us how those differed from day to day. So, you know, we, on our A days, we do, you know, periods one, three, and seven, except there are 20 minutes each, and then we do three lunches. And so you're able to tell us exactly what really the, your day to day looks like. And, and that's, again, something SISs don't do. Well, with that information alone, we know on a generally on a day to day basis, where everybody is to a degree that no other system has. So you can ask, where's Timmy? And we can say, Timmy is right here right now. But really to get that accurate information, the part that we're going to be uh, betaing in the fall, but we, ha- we haven't started um, uh, piloting yet, is what we call School Live, which is where you take that information and you say, okay, now tell us about the academic calendar. Tell us, tell us actually when those test days are and assemblies and, and all of those things. And now we can overlay the master schedule on top of the academic calendar and begin to answer really interesting questions about real instructional minutes and really where people are. And then the final step of that, which we'll get to later in the year, is the workflow around that, where you should be able to say as a principal, okay, I've got the the, the calendar and the master schedule overlaid, and I want to find a time for an observation. Well, now I can really see what's going on day to day with those teachers and schedule that observation straight through this app. Or, you know, theoretically, a teacher can say, I'm going to be out, I need to be out for an hour or two hours in two weeks. And we can say, well, these teachers are already available uh, during that period of time. So maybe they could even sub for you. And if not, you know, start that process of spitting out to another system that helps find subs. But you can imagine all those workflows that are around coordinating around times. I mean, sometimes we've talked about sort of a, a Google Calendar for education. I think it's an oversimplification because Google Calendar is very just personal calendars. There's no way to aggregate or or sort of see across. And this is really very specific to K-12 schools. Yeah, which is which are their own beasts in and of themselves. And so being able to have that other way to look at it is is very valuable. So as it relates to building a company like this, it seems like it is you obviously have talked to a lot of people and you know what's going on and you know the pain points that we as principals are feeling. How did you get that? Because like I said at the beginning, many principals don't even understand how complex this is. And, you know, there's just so much to it. How did you get that information to where you can communicate so clearly exactly what it is that we're struggling with? Great question. At first, it was just talking to a lot of principals who are coming from very different backgrounds, making sure to talk to a lot of principals of traditional schools, whether that's elementary, middle, or high, also talking to progressive schools and private schools, just seeing what is the breadth of, of the problem. Uh, but the next step was we hired a principal, actually, who works here, who ha- was very adept at creating master schedules and done some really interesting things. Uh, obviously, hired some really, really good product designers and engineers. And then the next step was we began to work with one school, actually, to just build in real time while they were scheduling behind them to make sure we understood the problem. 
Uh, and then we took that prototype and we showed it to many dozens of schools across the country. Uh, and we really try to cover our bases in terms of urban and rural and large and small and, and private and charter and district and, you know, uh, all the types, progressive, traditional, and showed them the prototype and as well as a bunch of other sort of mock-ups or some images of what we could envision and just ask them lots of questions about, is this what you would use? Is this how? And then the final step we've been in now is based on that feedback, we picked a set of pilot schools and have been really building in conjunction with them. So we have a principal who's on site here, who essentially has been, these schools are all across the country, by the way, who goes to those schools and makes sure she really understands what are their challenges, how are they master scheduling, we load their data into our tool, and uh, and then we're right there working with them. So it's really been in this this very close partnership with our pilot schools that we've been able to learn a lot of the nuance and details that I think, you know, there's no amount of interviews <laughs> that would bring that out. I mean, it really is, you learn by doing. This is our own project-based learning, or this, uh, this is our project. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think that, that that aspect of it is is fascinating. We do a lot in schools where we try to understand the struggles that others are facing, especially our students and our parents, and gaining empathy for what they're working working with and living with and try to find ways to meet their needs and you know hearing about a very real project that is having a very real impact on people and knowing that you know we can do that kind of stuff too and we can learn about what struggles people are facing and we may not create a technology company for it but we can at least strive to meet the needs of those people that are in our schools. And I appreciate hearing about that process because I'm sure that it was not easy and it was at times very difficult and uh, learning all that is challenging, but I'm so far very excited about what you have learned and how you can implement it to change. So for a school principal who is looking to understand others better, what is it that they can do to start solving the problems that other people are facing and technology related or not technology related, how do you start that process of changing other people's problems and, and finding solutions to them? Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, in education in particular, because we're dealing with students and teachers and outcomes and we're, we're trying to do good work here. A lot of times the conversations stay pretty high level when you're, you know, we implemented a flex block or we are more inclusive, but Schools are very complex places, so to understand the challenges of another person, it requires really asking a deeper set of questions about what are the specific challenges that you're you're facing at your school, uh, or you know what are the ways in which we actually what are the challenges we ran into when we implemented this. I think getting to that next level of detail, and oftentimes it's funny, literally asking about what were the challenges in your master schedule is very, very illuminating. You know, we, for example, we, <laughs> we were dealing with a, a elementary school principal, and when we were talking to her about what she was, what her priorities were, her goals in her master scheduling, it surprised us. And, and this continues to surprise us. I mean, we expected to hear teacher collaboration, which is what she said, and that's one of the more common ones that we hear, increased teacher collaboration. But then she said, you know, my students in my predominantly free and reduced lunch school, they're not eating lunch. I've observed that they're not eating. And I did some research that if uh, you put recess before lunch, they're more likely to eat. I can't do that for all my students. I don't have the resources. So I have to figure out a strategy, whether through rotation or, or pick particular cohorts, that I'm going to give recess before lunch. And you would have never guessed that your students not eating 
was one of those things that that uh, uh, people think about. But I bet a lot of principals in this country are thinking about things like that or tardiness yep. or and there are strategies that they're implementing to try to that same principal actually said she had a largely ESL population and she said she was going to move their uh, English language classes to first period, all of them, because she felt like the parents of her students were more likely to get their kids to school on time because they thought that English language was the most important class. And so that was how she was going to work on their tardiness problem. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And we hear stories like that every day. And so I think getting to the, you know, the five whys or whatnot, you know, getting into the details of what is unique about your school and what are the real problems that you're trying to solve. And that's why, you know, we're model agnostic. We don't come to school saying you should be doing this or that. We think that there's a lot that can be learned between schools and we want to help uh, schools share what they're doing. But every school is very unique dealing with, with different challenges uh, that, that only that principal in that school can really know. Yeah, that is so totally true. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is how do we make this system-wide change in education? And it's not easy because schools have to be personalized and have to be unique to their environment because what works in one place is not necessarily going to work in another place. And for me, that's part of the excitement of moving to different schools and being in different places is seeing what kind of things can continue and, and be, you know, be uh, systematic throughout the system and what kinds of things really need to be focused down to that specific school. And, you know, the, the answer to that is not exactly clear. And so you got to talk to people, learn from them. And that's part of the reason why I do these interviews is to see what kinds of things are working across the country and implement those kinds of things in, in my school as well. I mean, one thing, one of our big goals that I'm hoping that we get to pretty soon is we want to make it easy for schools that are willing to share what they're doing in a way that is more easily understood than what we have today. Because oftentimes what we saw, principals go on school site visits and they look at other schools. You're like, yeah, this looks interesting, but how did you implement this? You know, we often hear a principal who will say, yeah, that, that looks great over there, but I don't have enough teachers or, or resources to do this, when they might. And so how do we make it easier for a, uh, a school to be able to look at another school and say, huh, that's interesting. They've implemented this flex block and, and uh, interdisciplinary collab time, you know, could I do that? Could I implement that, those techniques and literally with a click of a button or, you know, a couple of buttons see, yeah, oh, I could, here's a way I could do that uh, to make it much, much easier for schools to share their, their models, if you will. Yeah. You know, from the philosophical side, that's, I do a conference each year called the Transformative Leadership Summit. And that is where I get at those questions that people are asking. And I ask the people that I'm interviewing to give us actionable things that we can do to help change things. And so I'm approaching it from a philosophical standpoint of like, what did you actually do to get those results? And you're approaching it from a, here's the data and the information that you now have access to everything. Finally, here's how you can see how, how making that kind of a change would impact. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. And you need both, you know, you, even with the data, you need to understand the intent behind it and probably, probably need help, but you need both. I mean, in the same way, again, like you can have the intent and you can meet the people, but if you don't know how you're going to implement it, you may not do it. But just knowing how technically you're going to implement it doesn't mean you'll be successful at it because 
I think this is a, a you know, all, all changes to school require holistic understanding of the impact on not just, you know, on your resources, on your staff, but also on the people and change management and, and like, will your, your teachers uh, need to be retrained on this? Or it's about a, a holistic view of change within school. Yeah, it absolutely is. So how can people learn more about Able Schools, your website, and how to learn more about it? We're right now piloting, as I said, a dozen schools. If you go to our website at www.ableschools.com, ablschools.com, uh, you can sign up for our early access program. Where we'll be selecting schools who will get early access to the software. We are going to be launching at the National Principals Conference this July. Uh, so if you're there, come check us out at our booth. We'll have a couple events. I would love to talk to you and get your feedback. And then we'll really be opening it up in the uh, fall and winter for schools to begin onboarding and trying the software. Cool. That'll be great. So the very last question that I ask is, what is one thing a principal can do starting this week to be a transformative principal? I mean, I'm a big believer in empathy in general. So I think that being a, a principal is so difficult in terms of the demands that are being put on from so many people that sometimes it's, it's often hard to be empathetic for uh, towards the people who are asking so much. But, uh, you know, to the extent that you can always try to understand where someone's coming from and, and their challenges and figure out how to, um, how to bring them along for the ride, that's, uh, that, that's my recommendation. Yeah, that is definitely powerful. Adam, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle Podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great talking. That was a really great interview, and I just learned so much, and I'm so excited about the opportunity of what he is doing to help education and how powerful that will be. So thank you so much for listening. And again, if you have not signed up for the Transformative Leadership Summit, now's your chance. Got two more days left, and you're really going to enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening, and please share this with someone who would benefit from learning more about improving their schedules. Thanks so much. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts.